Welcome to Thoughts from Home, your conservation podcast from the National Conservation Training Center. We're located along the Potomac River in historic Shepherdstown, West Virginia, and are home to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Throughout this series, we'll be talking with experts, authors, and a variety of other guests to bring you the most up-to-date information, events, and happenings here at the National Conservation Training Center. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. My name is Katherine Woodward, and I work at the National Conservation Training Center as a fish and wildlife biologist, and today I am joined by our NCTC podcast team, Jim Siegel, Mike McAllister, and Roxanne May, to talk about creepy crawly misunderstood wildlife on this chilly autumn day. So October and November, they're a beautiful time when the days get shorter, the leaves turn to warm hues, the fog rolls in to stay through the morning, and the harvest moon hangs bright in the night sky and the critters come out. Most of the time, people can go day to day paying no attention to the wildlife around them. And maybe they have a serious fear or phobia of certain species, but we wanna draw attention to some important ecological services of multiple animals that you're perhaps more familiar with from a close encounter driving down a country road, having found them lurking in your garage, messing with garbage cans, or trying to hibernate the winter away in your attic. So there's many animals out there that get a bad rep. Maybe they're less charismatic and more mysterious. Maybe they're mostly misunderstood. Spiders, bats, raccoons, possums, skunks, and so many more critters that are often characterized as creepy, crawly, and maligned are underappreciated, underrated, and we're here to shed some positive light on their many benefits to us and to our personal property, like how they help manage pests in our yards, our gardens, and homes, and more broadly in our entire ecosystem. So the next animal on our list is the stinky skunk. Definitely one of the most smelliest animals out there with the powerful scent glands. These are some of the animals you should keep your distance from for good reason. Jim, do you know how far they can spray? Like, or how powerful their spray is? You know, I don't, don't, you know what, they don't generally spray it very, very far. You know, they're saving that to, protect themselves from being eaten. And so they're not spraying at long distances. I'm not sure of actually how long it can be sprayed, but typically it's it's just relatively inches and, and a foot. They're not spraying at long distances like across a basketball court. But they, you know, they are using this to defend their lives. And so it has been a very successful uh, evolutionary feature that keeps most predators from attacking a skunk. So the typical wolf or fox or feline, like a like a bobcat, will not bother a skunk. But something like a great horned owl, which doesn't worry about the smell of the odor, will take skunks. So that's an interesting feature about them. Skunks are also, like a raccoon, a very important in our environment. They eat a lot of mice. They eat a lot of insects. They also, like a raccoon, will eat the carcasses of small animals. So they do clean up our environment. They do eat a little bit of plant matter, particularly various kinds of fruits and a little bit of grain, but mostly they're eating small animals. I have a question for you, Jim. It's going back to their smell. So we have a skunk that lives at the back of our yard because we live next to a field. So whenever I'm 
taking Lucy out at night, I can smell the skunk. So we're not out there near it, but why does it emit that smell? Does that just keep animals away? You know, skunks are marking their territory like a dog might. And so that's the main value of the scent of a skunk is marking their territory to tell other skunks that this territory is occupied. It isn't just to protect them from predators. They are marking their environment, declaring it occupied, not unlike a dog, a male dog peeing on a fire hydrant. Yeah. It's very much like that. And so you might be smelling that. You're smelling where the skunk has traveled and marking its its environment. Unfortunately, you know, skunks sometimes are being hit by cars. And so the odor often lingers, you know, for quite a long time. And so that sometimes is happening. And if they get frightened by predators, they will spray and it lingers in the environment for quite a long time. And so it's kind of a combination of those things, but mostly it's they're marking their environment. So that's where you're smelling the odor. So Jim, is that different from them spraying? It's different than their spraying in that when they spray, they're totally releasing their scent glands. And so that it will take them many days, maybe over a week to gather up enough internal yeah. juices to create more scent. And yeah. so they're kind of letting it all hang out when they spray to protect their lives. Yeah, I was reading how they're actually mild tempered and they don't spray unless they have to. Right. Um, and like they're when they're about to spray, they like stump their feet and they arch their tail up and some of them can stand just to kind of like ward away to defend themselves. So what happens? What do we do if we do get sprayed or if we run over a skunk and have that terrible smell? Do you know like a cure? Is it soaking in a tub of tomato juice? Tomato <laughs> juice? You know what, I don't know how you get your entire car into tomato juice, but there are, you know, certain kinds of soaps that are scent cutting. You know, there's a couple of different products that I have people seen people use the tomato juice on a dog or a cat that has gotten involved with a skunk. It works a little bit. I don't think it works great, but there are products that you can buy various kinds of fat cutting soaps that will neutralize the skunk smell. And, you know, after a couple of days, it, it usually goes away. But if your dog or cat gets into a skunk, it needs to be cleaned pretty well, you know, with the products that are available. The tomato juice is not the perfect product to do that. Yeah, I'm waiting for that to happen in our yard. <laughs> Hopefully it won't. I, I had a friend whose dog used to get into a skunk like once a week and it was just crazy. I mean, it was, it was, it never learned. It never learned. I've almost tripped on skunks before in my yard by Harper's Ferry, and they're pretty tolerant. I, I move a lot quicker than they do. And, and I, I've never gotten sprayed, but I've had three encounters this uh, last year, and they're pretty tolerant, I will say, but I never want to find the limit. I've caught skunks in live traps where, you know, the cage traps where they walk in and the door closes behind them. And if you open the cage trap very slowly, they don't spray you. 
So you got to just keep calm and just, you know, talk to the skunk in a nice way and just move, you know, slowly. You can open up the have a heart trap and release the skunk. It's not very hard, actually. Yeah, I was reading and it said if you're confronted by a skunk, just have a slow, quiet retreat away the skunk. (laughs) But I also found out Clark River National Wildlife Refuge in Kentucky several years ago, they had a skunk that didn't have their scent glands anymore. And they used Beatty, that was her name, as a educational animal. But anyway, so they recommended pine and cedar scent to cut that odor of the skunk. So if anybody wants to know, try and use pine and cedar and hopefully that will help cut the odor. So like Pine Sol, you know, a a product like that might cut some of the odor. Mike, do we want to move on to the next animal, possums? Sure. Possums easily hit the mark when it comes to misunderstood animals. Jim, can you share some more on possums? Well, you know, possums are interesting as they're our only North American marsupial, which means that uh, they're a very ancient kind of mammal that give birth to a very, very immature animal that then crawls into a pouch and attaches to a nipple and lives suckling milk for a number of months before it grows into a a more normal-sized baby, as it were. And opossums often have 10, 12 babies at a time, even up to 20, though a lot of times they don't all survive. And they all sit in a pouch for a number of months before they grow large enough that they can walk around in the environment. Or typically they hang on to their mother's backs and they walk with their mother through the environment. It's amazing to see a mother opossum covered with her babies holding on. They have a prehensile tail, which means it helps them to climb trees They have an enormous amount of small teeth. They're a very primitive kind of teeth, all very pointed but short. And they're pretty harmless. They kind of look like a giant rat, but they're (laughs) actually a very harmless animal. They aren't so harmless to mice, and they aren't so harmless to insects, but they are pretty harmless to people. So, Jim, you talked about the tail. The tail is a very interesting part of the possum, so it helps it climb up trees. Does it serve yeah, any they can, they can They can wrap their tail around the trunks of trees and the branches of trees to help stabilize themselves. And a small opossum, a small one, could even hang from its tail, at least for a moment, where typically an adult opossum, if it's heavy enough, will not be able to hang from its tail but they can stabilize themselves using their tail, almost like a a fifth hand. Yeah, we have um, indoor outdoor cats where I grew up and my parents are outside in their yard. And so we'll have cat food outside sometimes or like a tuna can or whatever. And the possums will come and just sit right there on the porch, staring into the kitchen windows. <laughs> they are the freakiest things. Uh, but I guess they're just after that cat food um, and they can just smell the cats around. So anyway, it's always freaky. They are like large rats. You're right. That is a weird image. <laughs> I've seen them interact with cats 
And usually they don't hurt each other, but they do hiss at each other. So the cat hisses at the opossum and the opossum hisses back in its own way, but they're pretty harmless and they, they generally don't fight with cats and dogs. So it sounds like they're good animals to have around, right? They eat a lot of mice. They eat a lot of insect pests in gardens. But one of the most interesting things that they do is when opossums are walking around in the environment, they pick up a lot of ticks. Something like 5,000 ticks a year will attach to the opossum. Opossums are very good at cleaning their fur and they lick all those ticks off and eat them. So they are eliminating ticks from the environment by eating them off of their own bodies. So unlike a deer and a, a rabbit that sometimes can't remove the ticks, opossums are very good at grooming themselves. And they're actually very clean animals in their way, in that they're constantly licking themselves like a cat and cleaning their fur and cleaning their flesh and their ears and they're removing every tick and eating them. So that's, that's something that they do that's very important. So they're actively fighting against Lyme disease. That definitely gives me a deeper appreciation. Right, right. Opossums. So yes, yeah, so you should appreciate them more because each opossum that you see is eliminating up to about 5,000 ticks a year. Yeah, that's huge. Let's move on to our last critter and talk about snakes and more specifically black rat snakes. Well, there's about 50 species of snakes in the United States, but you know a lot of times people worry about poisonous snakes, and it's it is it's significant. There are four different kinds of poisonous snakes of these 50 different species. So the rattlesnakes is a group, the copperhead is a group, the cottonmouth is a group, and then the coral snakes, which are actually pretty rare, but they a fourth group of snakes. But most of the snakes that we have in our environment are not venomous. And so that's important to know. You know, people say, what's the difference? How can you tell them? All the venomous snakes have elliptical pupils. Those are like the slit eyes like a cat. Many of the poisonous snakes have a triangular and broad head. Coral snake does not, but many of them do. Rattlesnakes have a rattle on their tail. And all of the poisonous snakes have a heat pit between the nose and eye, which if you look at a rattlesnake's face, between its nostril and its eye, you can see the pit very, very well. So those are pit vipers. So the cottonmouth, the rattlesnake, the copperhead are pit vipers. And so they have a pit on the face that you can see very clearly. And so that's non-venomous snakes don't have those pits. Generally, non-venomous snakes do not have, they don't have elliptical eyes. They don't have triangular heads. And so that's an important characteristic. The reason why I mentioned black rat snakes here is that's probably the most common big snake that people are seeing in around their homes and their gardens. And obviously a lot of people see garter snakes and other small snakes, but I think the black rat snakes are often the most common snake that we see in, in our area here in the Eastern Panhandle. They're, they're large, sometimes up to five feet long, and, and they grow to great sizes. 
they can live many years, you know, up to 10 or 15 years and, and, and they grow to, uh, like I mentioned, they grow to a big size and they're very, very imposing looking. These, why are we finding these in, in near our homes and our gardens is that we have mice and rats near our homes and gardens and a lot of gray squirrels in our homes and gardens. And that's what these black rat snakes are feeding on. So if, if we find them in our garage, we probably have mice in our garage as well. We're finding them in our basements and our attics. We are probably having mice in those basement and attics as well. So they are filling a very important role of eating these rodents from around our homes and gardens and into the greater environment. So they're eating meadow voles, they're eating uh, deer mice, they're eating small squirrels, the young of squirrels, and then they are eating some eggs of some of the of the birds. They feed on that as well. You know, I have a question because, like I said earlier, I live in between fields, so we see a lot of mice running through the yard and just all kinds of wild critters. But we have black snakes out here too. And I've seen them close to my house and I freak out, of course, you know, a bunch of babies, you know, going under my sidewalk. So I've been worried about that, that they were going to get in my house. It does get in my house. I mean, what do I do? How do I get them out? Because, you know, that's one of the, the creepy crawly fear things. I mean, I'm scared of snakes, you know, so how would I move that to the field where it should yeah. be? If you have snakes getting into your house, though the way the snakes are getting in is the same way that the mice are getting into your house. So all the ways that you close off a house to mice will also close off the house to snakes. And so that's what you have to think about. If you find a snake in your house, carefully try to get it to crawl into a garbage pail or something like that kind of container and then take it outside. If you can get brave enough, you can grab them with your hands with a gloved hand and grab them and put them very quickly into a garbage can or other closed container and take them outside and release them away from your home. You can get bitten by a black rat snake. Won't make much that of was a be My next question, will it bite me and hold yes, on? It will. it will try, it will often try to bite you. And that's why I recommend wearing a good glove, you know, a good leather glove or garden glove that's thick. They will try to bite you. And it isn't a serious bite, but why get bitten by a snake if you don't have to? You can get certain kinds of snake tongs if you have to deal with this issue a lot. There are at various kinds of garden places you can buy equipment that can pick up a snake and a snake tong or a snake stick that you can pick snakes up carefully. But I think you might want to avoid the whole thing altogether by clogging all the holes that mice come into your house and into your garage or into your shed, patching all those holes that mice don't get in. That's the main way that you're going to keep black rat snakes out of your house. Yeah, Mike, do you have any snake stories <laughs> from working on campus or just around? There are, there are, we get several calls a summer to uh, uh, remove snakes out of uh, hallways or entryways, especially people will prop a door open because a building might be too warm 
And then the snakes, of course, are attracted to the warmth uh, or the sunlight on the stone or something. And they'll sneak in, but it's pretty low, not a whole lot of problem. I, I was, when I first moved here a couple years ago, I was cleaning my oven. Uh, I had the oven on auto clean. And so it was really hot and I had left my basement access door open, just airing the new house out. And I came upstairs and a snake had literally, or black snake had literally climbed my stairwell from the basement and found my oven and was just hanging out in front of the really hot oven. That was a learning experience for sure about, um, you know, be, being in West Virginia and having an open door in the middle of the summer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. It was better than having a brown bear walk in in Alaska. So I, you know, you know. So. <laughs> One of the things that black rat snakes often use is they often lay their eggs in mulch piles in your garden. So if people have a garden mulch and a nice compost, compost pile of of garden waste and and house waste. They often lay their eggs in the mulch piles, and so you may in you know at the end of a couple of months have 10 12 baby rat snakes coming out by the way a baby rat snake isn't black it kind of looks like a little rattlesnake without the rattle it's a very thin snake with with kind of a chain mail kind of pattern on its back of triangles and other colors so it almost looks like like a little rattlesnake but without the rattle and without the right type of head. So that's where it's different. It takes them a couple of years to get the full black color. Well, that is our short list of creepy crawly misunderstood wildlife. Thanks, Jim, for your expertise and everybody for the conversation and stories told and walking us through the short list of animals and their critical role to the environment. We hope you guys can take away some of the information shared with you and tell others too. With all the negative connotations and attitudes towards these animals, it makes it more difficult to advocate for their protection and conservation. It's challenging to gain support on species that people can't relate to or have a connection with, like a cuddly, beautiful, widely celebrated creature. I hope you enjoyed listening to our flip on the narrative. So next time when you see one of these animals, instead of letting the negative feelings creep in or your fears start to scare you, let's focus on the good and grow our understanding on all that these creatures do for us. Thank you for listening to the National Conservation Training Center podcast series. If you have feedback, thoughts, or stories you'd like to share, contact us at nctc underscore podcast at fws.gov.